Welcome to More to Come, Publishers Weekly's co- podcast of the world of comics and graphic novels. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics and on Twitter, on Tumblr, and on Facebook at, at PW Comics World. I'm Heidi McDonald, the co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And wow. All right. So today I am here talking to Lucy Nicely, and that is how you pronounce your name, correct? That's correct. <laughs> All yes. right. Yes, I have learned at long last. Uh, Lucy Nicely, <laughs> the author of uh, Relish, uh, the acclaimed Relish, Displacement, and Age of License, French Milk, uh, other books uh, coming, I'm sure, that we'll talk about a little bit. But uh, basically, she is a graphic novel turner-outer. <laughs> you just had um, Displacement come out. That was your latest. Uh, you had two travelogues actually come out from Fantagraphics, uh, An Age of License and uh, Displacement. And, um, that's as if, right, yeah. As if that's not all enough, I understand you just got married. That's right. Uh, let's see. This past year, I moved three times, got married, bought a house, and yeah, came out with two graphic novels. Okay. So uh, let's just talk about time management because obviously <laughs> <laughs> you must be an expert. Um, but yeah, how do you, that's a whirlwind. How did you keep working uh, during all that stuff? Well, um, the nice thing about the graphic novels that I made is that they're travelogues, so they were very immediate. Uh, I went on these trips and sort of kept uh, kept this, these travelogues as I went. So um, so these were very quick, quick and dirty. And uh, the the new books and relish uh, with uh, for a second are scripted and take a long time. So that I'm working on now uh, is a lot more time consuming, of course. Now that uh, now that things are kind of settling down a little bit. Right. Right. Um, well, now, you know, you say that you do these as travelogues. Um, so, I mean, even when you're in the midst of exciting travel adventures, are you working in a sketchbook? I mean, what's your process for that? Yeah, I uh, I started making travelogues when I was in college. Uh, and my first book, French Milk, was a travelogue. And uh, it started out as kind of a way of processing what I was experiencing and, and sort of recording this period of my life that I thought would be significant and uh, and to sort of challenge myself to see how much of it I could get down as I went. And uh, over the years, you know, I've been doing this for about you know, over 10 years now, I've sort of developed a muscle memory kind of thing where I, I you know, I'm able to take time out of my sleep schedule, essentially, to, um, to make travelogues as I go. So um, so most of it is done as I'm, as I'm experiencing it, which makes it really immediate, which I, I think is, is really part of the essential travelogue aspect to these things. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so I, I make my own sketchbooks before I go on paper that you know I want to work on, the size that I want to work on, and uh, sort of try and set myself uh, a goal of you know a certain amount of time every day that I sit down and, and work on these books. And it you know it varies from trip to trip, from you know what I'm experiencing, uh, but uh, but I generally uh, have pretty good luck getting it getting it done as I go. Uh-huh. Now, so, I mean, you developed this, you say, over 10 years. I mean, did you originally plan that you would be publishing these sketchbooks, or was it something that you were just doing for your own amusement or, you know, as raw material? Well, I make a lot that don't see the light of day. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I do make work that sort of doesn't merit uh, sharing, I think. 
but uh, when I started making French milk, I came back with the story that more than my journal of this trip was sort of more about your mothers and daughters and this period of your life when you're sort of standing on the precipice of adulthood, which has been what my work has basically been about for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to transition out of that at this point. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it sort of told uh, more more of a story than just, you know, here's what I did, here's what I ate, here's what I saw. Um, and I I found that to be really compelling, this sort of deeper meaning and, and the distance you get from your life to, in order to see kind of a wider connection between the events that you're experiencing. And uh, and that's what really compels me about travelogues, that it sort of gives this larger story context. Uh-huh. And um, and so I, you know, I didn't imagine that that would be a major part of my career, but uh, what happened with Displacement and Age of License is after I had finished Relish, but before it had come out, I had this year of waiting around to sort of embark on my career and I said well I'm going to take every opportunity that comes across my plate to travel and I'm going to write about it and see what comes of it because I'm at this kind of weird point in my life where I don't have a lot of ties and I can you know I have the ability to just sort of pick up and go so uh so these books kind of came about from that period of my life and that's very much what they're both about this this kind of uh flannel flailing period of your late 20s Um, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I know a, s- a couple of other cartoonists have written recently about, um, you know, their early work and how it doesn't reflect who they are now. I mean, I know Erica Moen was talking about how her co- webcomic Dar was very much about the same thing, where she was very young and, you know, figuring things out. And um, I know that uh, Julia Wirtz has also, you know, kind of talked about the fart party, which is now because she's kind of changed the title. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, I mean, when you're, you know, I, I guess that, you know, one of the things that Erica pointed out is the same thing as you, you know, she's, I mean, she's a homeowner now and, and she's like, you know, that, that character in the comics isn't the Erica that exists now. Um, but you know, as a reader, of course, we enjoy reading these books, you know, and the, the Lucy's, the Erica's, the Julia's that we see, you know, are very endearing characters, but. Um, I mean, yeah, do you feel like, you, you know, you need to kind of put up a little disclaimer about this this character that you're portraying at some point? <laughs> Certainly. And, you know, people often are more uncomfortable meeting me than I am meeting them because they're like, oh, I know the name of your cat. Isn't that weird? And <laughs> I'm often like, no, that's great. I, you know, I'm very flattered. Let's talk about my cat in the next 45 minutes. Um, but I, uh, I feel like, you know, these stories are very curated this is not, um, you know, this is a character. This mm-hmm. is a person that you're um, presenting to the world. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm very good friends with Erica and uh, and Julia, and I, I know them personally, but uh, reading their work, you, you really have to make a distinction between the character mm-hmm. and the artist. Um, and this is something that uh, you grow to be able to do. Again, a, sort of a muscle memory thing, able to separate yourself from the character that you're presenting to the world. But telling true stories like this is also really beneficial, both, I think, in the process of uh, sort of understanding where you are in your life uh, at a certain point, and then being able to look back at it and say, oh, yeah, that's how I felt, that's what I was, that's, you know, how I experienced the world, Um, which is really nice, because when you're making these stories, these true-to-life stories, you're sort of inhabiting three roles at the same time, the 
person that experienced those roles in the past, those um, events in the past, the person that's recording those events in the present, and the person in the future that's going to sort of look back and see this period of life and, and kind of process that experience from the future. Uh-huh. Well, you just summed up, um, you know, an entire gigantic novel by Marcel Proust there in one sentence. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, Well, yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. Actually, a lot of those themes are present in in, uh, Displacement, which is a book about you going on a cruise with your grandparents, and they are failing, and, um, you know, you're trying to have a good time with them, but also allow them to have kind of this adventure and and, you know, to have their own good time. But, it's, I mean, it's very, you know, I mean, it's very hilarious, but it's also very sad. And, you know, uh, I mean, there are a lot of different emotions going through that book. Yeah, it sort of walks this line that everybody experiences when they, they uh, you know, have to face the decline of a loved one, the, the kind of ridiculousness of the situation, this changing roles that you have with these people who've, cared for you your whole life and you're sort of starting to care for them and it's just it sort of ends in this unbelievable hilarity but at the same time really really sad moments um, which uh, I tried to sort of get across in this book and um, my grandfather is this uh, is very sweet wonderful uh, vampire I'm pretty sure he is immortal um, <laughs> he's still kicking he's 97 now I think and um you know, has like his plane has fall, fell out of the sky a few times in World War II, and he you know lived through six or seven heart attacks, and he's just like he's still around, and mm-hmm. um, it's really uh, he's really an amazing person, and I I'm totally fascinated by him, which is uh, part of why I included his war memoir in the book. Right. I mean, did you know when you were going on the on the cruise that this might be a, you know, fertile ground. I mean, obviously you were taking, you know, I mean, this kind of brings up the whole idea that you were just talking about, though. I mean, you're going on this experience and, you know, trying to have a, uh, you know, trying to share this time with your grandparents. But, I mean, it's a very it's a very touching narrative. I mean, did you did you know, I mean, how much did you know what you were going to find, I guess, when you, when you went on this experience? Um, well, I knew that it was, you know, going to be, a whole thing. Uh, part of it is, you know, the different complicated relationships I have with my grandparents. My grandmother and I have never really seen eye to eye. Um, and the two of them have this whole kind of odd couple thing going on where she's this sort of taskmaster, stern, strict school mom kind of person. And my grandfather is this sweet, kind, silly person. Um, but we, my, my whole family didn't really uh, anticipate the level of decline that they had had just over the past uh, few months before the trip. So mm-hmm. a lot of that was a surprise. A lot of the level um, that they had declined was a, a shock, not only to me, but to my family. And uh, I, you know, I was suddenly sort of in this position of caretaker, which I'd never, I'd never had any experience, you know, being a professional caretaker, of course. So I, I was sort of stepping into that role temporarily. And um, I knew that this, was going to kind of unhome me a little bit, which is always a good, you know, a good stepping off point for telling a good story. But um, I didn't really know quite how much this would kind of blow up in everybody's faces. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Well, it's uh, it's uh, it's a very tender book, and you know, I really enjoyed where you put the uh, put in a photo of your grandparents as they, you know, I, the actually from the the um, the cruise. You know, it enables you to to compare them, and and uh, you know, it really brings it home. It's it's you know, it's funny how many graphic novels that have really gotten a lot of acclaim are about the process, you know, of aging or with parents. I mean, with you know, from Mouse to the Roz Chast book, and. You know, I know there are other ones, but yeah, it's fertile, fertile ground, I guess. Um, Definitely. Now, are you your your first book that was published? Uh, now, I know you did mini comics and web comics, but I guess the first one that got um, well it was published by a mainstream publisher, not a comics publisher, was French Milk, correct? That's right. Yeah, and uh, which was a kind of combining the two things for which you're most known, which are travelogues and food. So it was a travel, as you mentioned earlier, it was another trip with a, um, you know, a, a genetic forebear of yours, in this case your mother, and you went. And changing roles and stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, it was a lot, of, like, kind of a lot of the same themes, but, but you also had quite a bit about the food, and um, and you kind of developed a style that was, um, well, I guess I could almost say it's like Richard Scarry for food. You know, you have these diagrams and call outs and, you know, you kind of show what goes into it and everything. I mean, how did you, how did you develop that, that, um, that look for what you were doing? Well, I learned to cook for my mother, who's a professional chef. And, um, when I tried to sort of go out on my own, I had these, I had these good recipes under my belt for my mom, but, uh, going from cookbooks was always a little difficult for me. And it's this long column of text and, you know, unfamiliar terms. And I had been spoiled because I had learned from someone who was showing me how to do what needs to be done, uh, which I found to be the best kind of learning tool. So when I was thinking about putting recipes into the book, it was um, kind of this instinctive, oh, yeah, it would be great to kind of bridge this gap between uh, reading a recipe and sort of learning from cooking with somebody from, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing. So it's sort of a a way for me to show someone how to make something by hand, uh, by me, uh, without the kind of confusing aspects of reading from a recipe book, um, which I really, I think is really nice. I've, I've seen a lot of people make comics about making food, and I think it's, a really wonderful, a w- wonderful way to learn how to cook a dish because it's it's this you know you can see that ha- that hands perform the tasks that are needed. Right, right. Um, well, with your with, when you set out to do French milk, did you you know did you anticipate? Obviously, the title is a reference to food, but I mean, did you anticipate that there would be the focus on food uh, uh, in it that that you had? I mean, was that a part of the original plan for the book? Um, it's something that's intrinsically part of the way that my mother and I filter the world is mm-hmm. through food. So I knew that uh, going on this trip with her and going to France, which is so uh, unbelievably delicious, mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of it was going to end up being about food. Right. And right. Uh, I remember I was in grad school when that book came out, and uh, I, you know, I went up to James Kachalko, who's like a visiting artist. I was like, oh, my first book is out. You know, I'm a big fan here. I wanted to give you a copy of it, and he uh, came back the next day, and I was like, what'd you think? And he said, well, it was all right, but uh, I think making comics about food is cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, read, I've like, re- subsequently read this rule that he has since, um, because, you know, it's not something that he feels is, like, emotionally 
uh, compelling part of your day. Like it's it's essential, essentially um, like Instagramming a picture of your lunch in right. his opinion. Um, so I took this criticism and I thought about it and I was like, you know, like food is something that I experience very emotionally that is very connected to my past and to the way that I live my life and see the world. Um, so I followed up French Milk with Relish, a book that was entirely about food, uh, basically flying in the face of this uh, very well-respected, wonderful comic artist's opinion <laughs> that I right. completely ignored. Yeah, well, but, but you know, I mean, I love James's work also, but, you, you know, his stuff is about whatever happens to him. It's all filtered. You know, he doesn't really have an overarching theme in his diary comics. It's very simple. And, you know, he blogs and he does comics about his cats. So, <laughs> um, but, um, and of course, you, I think you were proven to be right on the money with that. I mean, Relish got um, a lot of attention. It sold very well, I know. And a lot of, a, it got a lot of acclaim. And, um, you know, obviously we've, survive the artisanal odds as I like to call them but um, you know there's so much interest in food now I mean people have always liked food but it just seems like everything is about food (laughs) in so many ways with special (laughs) diets and restaurants and everything but yeah I mean did did, did it seem to be like you know what was the response for you personally when you put out relish Um, what was really great is that I you know I went on a book tour all across the country to cities I'd never visited before and uh, I had readers giving me restaurant recommendations or sharing their own recipes with me, and uh, and that was really great. I mean, the the best kind of conversations that I've had with most people are all about food, and uh, I'm so lucky that I I get to do that when I go places and sell the book. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um. Did you know this book is very much again kind of um remembrance of foods past. Uh, where you talk about the impact, you know, obviously with your mother being a chef and just the other people in your family and and your own personal relationship with food. But it is a lot about how, how you know, our memories of food is so powerful so many times, like the taste of something is, is you know, so important to us. And um, I mean, was that, you know, when you set out to do the book, was it specifically about you and your family or... Uh, you know, was that that the main goal for it, or did you have the other themes that that you were hoping to portray? I had a collection of, you know, funny stories from my childhood that I was sort of just brainstorming along, and uh, I started to notice common threads in the story, uh, in the collection of stories that I had, um, and all of these stories were based in this really strong sense memory that I had of, of the things that I was eating at the time. Like I said, my mother and I sort of see the world in in terms of the food that we're eating or smelling or cooking. And uh, and I think that that was really impressed upon me as a child. So, um, so the memories I have associated with my childhood are really couched in these really strong sense memories of the foods that I was eating or cooking. And, um, and so when I set out to kind of put a bunch of stories together, it just so happened that they all kind of featured prominently the food that I, that you know, became the central focus of the, the whole book. So, you know, it's, it's stories about my childhood and, you know, funny or sad or interesting or, you know, coincidental stories. But, uh, of course, they're, of course they were going to have food as the main focus. Of course, food is the, the common thread in my entire life. Right, right. Now, do you, do you, I mean, like I said, you got a lot of, um, 
you know, great reviews. He got a lot of attention for it. And, and we just did also for Publishers Weekly, we just did an article that was about like the top, uh, you know, food comics. And, and there was quite a few to choose from in addition to relish. I mean, there's the whole Japanese manga tradition of, of food, you know. Right, which is very prominent. Yeah, the whole food manga thing is huge. Right, right. I mean, some of them are competitions, like, um, you know, Iron Chef, and some of them are just about, I mean, they kind of have a little bit of the same format as Relish, and that it'll be like this, you know, far more dramatized story in the manga tradition, and then there'll be a <laughs> recipe of how to make this, this complicated ramen or something, you know, so... Um, but yeah, there's also a cookbook. I, I, it does seem like there's been more illustrated food, you know, like uh, comics illustrated cookbooks just in the last couple of years. It seems to be it's, it's kind of a little category of its own. I mean, did you, you know, get a lot of offers for that? I mean, did, did you get, you know, work drawing recipes or, or, you know, how did that affect you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my dream job, other than being a comic artist, has always been to be a food writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that I was able to kind of experience a little bit after Relish came out. I was able to do some pieces for Sever, the food magazine, and uh, was able to do some restaurant reviews. And uh, I continue to, you know, take every opportunity that comes across my plate to do some uh, illustration or writing work about food. It's awesome. And, you know, I think the culture in America is really having this food renaissance. And uh, you only have to look to the popularity of the insanity of the Food Network to sort of see the way that people have started uh, to really kind of glorify this and pay attention to, um, to food as a major cultural signifier. But I think that um, having grown up among chefs and waiters and bakers and um, restaurateurs, I've I've always kind of lived in the world where our food is right. kind of the main topic of conversation. So, uh, so I finally feel like people are uh, having the same conversation, <laughs> as me, which is great. I, right. I'm, I'm so happy to have that conversation now. Right, right. So in other words, you're not, you're not regretting being a little bit like, uh, you know, called the food cartoonist. <laughs> Not at all. No, I mean, I, I'm so happy to see other people doing it and uh, to have kind of come up in the same time, uh, you know, I don't know, tapped into some kind of weird zeitgeist that, uh, that allowed us all to um, to make cool comics about food. I'm mm-hmm. very close with uh, Sarah Beacon, who's another food cartoonist, um, and we have, you know, wonderful, we have dinner on Friday night <laughs> we've set up. Um, so, uh, so it's really nice to sort of see how great that that partnership can be between comics and food. I, I really think that uh, it is a wonderful sort of way to uh, to share this sensory experience because when you're reading, you have, you know, you have the sensory experience of your own memories and the words and the story forming in your mind. Uh, and with comics, it adds another sense layer of, of the images mm-hmm. that the reader gets to experience. And when you discuss something like food or smells, uh, it adds yet another kind of sensory tie-in for the reader, and I think that that's such a wonderful, such a wonderful kind of conglomeration of experiences that the reader gets that they don't necessarily experience with all comics, with all um, written words. So I, I really think that it's a wonderful ugh, synergy. <laughs> right, right, right. No, um, but I mean, I mean, it is, and you know, I think it's part of just seeing comics and visual information being used in so many different ways now. Um, 
you know, it's it's amazing to me, having been a long time uh, observer, to see to see all this, you know, all this happening. And um, you know, it's great. It's great that that you're not the only food cartoonist. Um, but I, what um, what are you? But what are your current projects? I mean, it sounds like you know, uh, probably so much personal stuff going on. Very busy year for you. But I mean, what else have you been been working on? Well, I was working on a book about um, about arts education, sort of uh, couched in my own memories of high school when um, my ex boyfriend and I got engaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I was. I went from totally single to uh, planning a wedding in the space of a day, and it was kind of nuts. And I had all these crazy stories about this experience, and I started telling them to my editor and friend at First Second, who was the girl. And she was like, oh, you should do a book about the wedding. You should do a book about the wedding. <laughs> so we kind of uh, <laughs> we put the one about arts education on the back burner for the time being. And uh, I'm on a pretty insane deadline schedule for a book about the wedding industry and um, feminism and my own experiences uh, sort of marrying the two <laughs> ideals of, uh, of getting married and being right. a nerdy tomboy feminist. Right. So, uh, so that's what I'm working on at the moment. It's, uh, the deadline is June 2nd, June 1st or June 2nd, something <laughs> like that. So I'm, uh, I'm plugging away on that deadline. At the well, moment. thanks. Thanks for taking some time out to talk to us. Um, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, and who who is the publisher of that? That first second. Oh, that would be back at first second. Um, I, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit actually about um, about kind of. I mean, your career isn't you know. I mean, you're not a newcomer, although you know you seem to have burst onto the scene in the last few <laughs> years. But I mean, you've been at this for for 10 years uh but yep a little well, more than 10 years yeah so so you're a veteran by this time but you've had all the different formats you know you like i said you did mini comics you did web comics um and your first book was part of what i called the you know initial surge of interest in graphic novels from the book world and uh there so there was a boom and there was a bust and uh, and, and now there's sort of a nice steady uh growth you know, first second has absolutely stayed the course through the whole thing, and uh, and then Fantagraphics. You published your two your two travelogues through Fantagraphics. So, yeah, what what have you learned? <laughs> Advice to a um, young cartoonist. <laughs> right, I, I have this uh, very interesting career path where I did sort of step into uh, the comics world at a time when it was really nuts and changing, and there was this huge boom. And I, you know, I thank that boom profusely for, you know, getting, giving my career the, the first sort of steps uh, towards what it is today. I was really lucky. I was coming out of college and I had this travelogue that I'd self-published. And uh, it was picked up by Simon & Schuster. Uh, and it was their first real attempt at, at sort of getting on the bandwagon mm-hmm. for graphic novels. And instead of... Uh, instead of sort of doing their research about how graphic novels are sold, they were like, oh, well, we'll just sell graphic novels the way we sell books. This would be great. You know, we know what we're doing for books, so it's probably totally the same for graphic novels. But as we know, it's definitely not the same. (laughs) You have to factor in conventions and comic book stores and, um, you know, comic book shops. And uh, they, you know, they don't always know exactly what, uh, what, where to put a graphic novel. So my, uh, my first book, French Milk, 
you know, it was classified as a travel book. So it's in the travel section of most bookshops, um, which I, you know, I don't necessarily think is very accurate. And uh, they didn't send me to any conventions. They didn't send me to any comic shops. And I, uh, I was sort of like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, you know, 22 years old. I, I'll, I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. And, uh, and so they, they were like, well, we're very disappointed in how the graphic novels that we bought are selling. And they bought, you know, books from Ariel Schrag and Jeffrey Brown. And, um, they were really good books, they're really good books that just sort of languished because right. they, they just didn't know how to sell them. And, uh, you know, I, I don't blame anybody for this. I think that this was just part of this bubble bursting because they were like, well, these are, these aren't moneymakers after all. Never mind. Shut down, right. the whole, <laughs> shut down the whole thing. So I was like, well, that was, that was an interesting experience. Um, and by then I, I sort of had a better idea of what I wanted to do with my work and I had the ideas developing for Relish and, um, for a second it was like this, you know, glorious, wonderful creature that I wanted to be a part of. And I was very lucky to, um, find my place there. I think it's a really great fit. Um, but of course they take about a year to perfect the book. I mean, this is awesome because they make the books really beautiful and they know where sell them and they know everything that you know Simon and Schuster was sort of clueless about they're like on it uh-huh. um, but it takes a while so the, the artist has to wait around for the book to come out after they finish it uh-huh. so that's the um, the year spent making travelogues uh-huh. and uh, while you know for a second has very is very supportive of all my outside projects uh, they're not an indie company anymore they, they, they don't want to sell books like travelogues that are a little more sort of organic and free-flowing uh, and that's where a company like Fanographics is so great to work with because they really appreciate um, books that have a little bit more of a fluid narrative that uh, are drawn very immediately, have more of a kind of indie feel, have more of a um, sort of ink on paper kind of right. tactile quality. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm really, really lucky that I get to work with both of these publishers who I adore both of them. Uh, because it's perfect for me because I get to kind of balance things between the scripted, very um, sort of long-form graphic novels that uh, that I work with for a second to make and um, the more kind of indie, fun, adventuresome, quick books mm-hmm. that I get to make with Fanographics. Right, right. Well, that is. I mean, you, you definitely have have kind of spanned the gamut there. And, I mean, it's interesting that for a second, I actually interviewed uh, Callista Brill, uh, probably a couple months ago. Well, probably more than that. Time flies so fast. But anyway, recently <laughs> interviewed her, and we talked a lot about for a second. And uh, many other for a second authors have been on this podcast. Um, but they do. I mean, I do think when Mark Siegel started the imprint, he was smart enough to see that you know the kind of reception that you had at Simon and Schuster that with that first book, he could see what was happening with that. And right. so, so he kind of, you know, guarded, warded against that with the, uh, with for a second. And, you know, now they're, they're considered pretty much, they're very established uh, in the larger publishing company. And now I see publishers, book publishers are signing up, um, a lot of, I say a lot, but definitely younger cartoonists are getting book deals, you know, like cartoonists I've never heard of are getting book deals, mostly for YA stuff. But it's kind of interesting that, that, I mean, you mentioned Ariel Schrag and Jeffrey Brown, and 
Uh, I mean, I remember when those books came out because we covered them extensively at Publishers Weekly, and I think it was kind of this idea of like, oh, we're going to you know, sign up these really hip young cartoonists, and, and they're just going to be like debut novelists, and you know, people are really going to dig their stories, and uh, you know, I mean... Jeffrey Brown is a huge best-selling author now, but for his Star Wars cartoons, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. And you just never know what the stuff. Like, it's it's so bizarre to kind of see what will catch fire. And I think that's what's really interesting in this time that, uh, that, you know, huge media conglomerates have recognized the power of San Diego Comic-Con, for mm-hmm. example. And, you know, it's become ubiquitous. It's become this huge thing in popular culture to make comics or video games or um, to write about comics or video games. And, you know, suddenly I'm like having conversations with my aunt about this stuff that she would normally have been like, so it's picture books like in (laughs) the New Yorker cartoons, what kind of thing? And now she's like, well, what do you think about Gamergate? And it's just bizarre (laughs) to me. But like I'm having these conversations with people, and I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing these incredible graphic novels come out of uh, book imprints, which is so great to see that that, right. that you know it didn't die out completely. Yeah, no, there, you know, we stayed the course. I mean, that's one thing that cartoonists and comics people are very good at is is staying the course under staying undercover, uh, living on only a crust of dry bread now and then, and <laughs> um, you know, but but pushing forward. <laughs> Right. Punishing yourself forever. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, What would you, I mean, what would you think, um, like, you know, uh, with young cartoonists now, I mean, it's it's even from, you know, again, I don't want to make you sound like, you know, an old timer, but I mean, even, but so much (laughs) has changed even since you started doing web comics, you know, and, and I see now so many incredibly talented cartoonists coming out of really strong cartooning schools. Middle school. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. It's really an incredible uh, shift to watch because I came up uh, in the, the, the age of live journal and we had this great, comics community of, you know, Erica Mullen and Jess Fink and all these really incredible people um, that I could learn from and uh, people like Hope Larson and Raina Telgemeier who are like these goddesses um, who I was able to connect with online at a time when that wasn't happening much still. Um, And I, I, you know, I thank the live journal community for this and I think the fact that comic artists are so lonely and sad and we all live in our little apartments and sort of draw in solitude all the time, but we need to reach out and have this community. It's really a wonderful support mm-hmm. to learn the industry through and that we have these conventions where we can connect in real life and, and have these um, <clears throat> peers in, in your peer group that will teach you so much about the business, about the act of making comics. And uh, and I see this so much more now, even than when I was starting out. And I, I can't imagine what it's like now because Tumblr has totally blown my mind with, you know, mm-hmm. everybody on there is making comics and everybody is 16 and they're all incredible and they all know each other and it seems wonderful. And it reminds me of that time when I, you know, when I was active on, on the live journal mm-hmm. community yeah. and I was meeting all these wonderful artists. So, um, so I, I really think the internet has changed so much about it and also the popularity of books like Raina Telgemeier's book Smile has given 
uh, kids the you know planted the seed. Oh, I could actually do this for a right. living, right. which I didn't get until I was in college and I met. Larson and she was like oh yeah me and my husband we do this professionally and I was like what that's a job I'm in let's do this <laughs> right right you know it's it's also interesting to me that that you know the Tumblr comics are so varied and like you know there are still kind of journal comics such as such as you do and and you know like Erica was doing mm-hmm. and um you know autobiographical stuff like Raina started out doing and uh but there's also like this really strong kind of uh well you know magical there's a lot of lot of uh, right fantasy, fantasy. Stuff, manga influence yeah, yeah yeah it's a lot like doujinshi i guess a little i mean you know I, it does seem kind of like that manga moment to me anyway right and um but there's also people who are really doing real you know, fiction, very mainstream fiction that that maybe Simon and Schuster would have been able to sell, <laughs> right. you know, back in the day. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> do you think? Uh, so I mean, you, you know, this is one of those questions that everybody gets asked. But I mean, do you think that doing, um, you know, just putting yourself up on the web, up on Tumblr, is a good good first move for somebody who's trying to to break in now? Or oh, definitely. I mean, there's nearly no overhead costs. Everybody essentially they already needs internet to like communicate in the modern world these days. So you already have it there. You know, if you can get it up online, it's a lot cheaper than printing out a comic and flying across the country and going to a comic convention and sticking it in people's hands. Right. I mean, this, this amazing box in your room is going (laughs) to like bring you into the hands of people like, you know, editors and other artists and um it's just a really incredible resource and i certainly started out putting a lot of my work online and um what was wonderful about live journal is that it had a comment system that allowed people to you know make suggestions or offer critiques and uh i learned so much from fellow artists on uh live journal back in the day and i think that that community exists on tumblr uh, now for artists starting mm-hmm. out that there is this um, kind of ability to develop your work uh, in a in a kind of a closed right. open circuit. Right, right. Well, it's very it's a very exciting time. Um, it's a very exciting time for comics. And, it is uh, exciting time. Yeah, it is. It's all good. Um, it's also an ex- exciting time for food. Now, here's a really dumb question, but I, I'm, I've been asking a couple people, but I'm going to ask you since you have. Uh, such a interest in food, and so uh, you know, it, it seems to me that we've had the cool vegetables. You've had kale, obviously took over. Then we had uh, bra- Brussels sprouts, then cauliflower. That's all about the right. cauliflower. But what will be the next hot vegetable? Ooh, um, nasturtiums. <laughs> ah, okay. I feel like they're overdue for a comeback. I like I. I feel like they're going to be everywhere on Pinterest in about 10 minutes. Um, my mom was really big into nasturtiums in the like, ni- early 90s, and she grew them in her garden, and she put them in salads. And they're, you know, they're edible, peppery flowers. They're so good. Mm. And um, I like, I feel like that's a total like Pinterest thing that will make a huge comeback in the very near future. That's my like goofy uneducated prediction for that <laughs> well i like that one actually it's a, it's a good good for good for salads uh i mean is there anything i mean obviously chicago is a is you know 
king of the food towns, really. I mean, it's amazing, <laughs> amazing. I, you know, don't as a proud New Yorker, I would never admit that. Uh, you know, anything about <laughs> well, Chicago is better than New York, but um, you know. <laughs> anyway, I'll just leave that there. But uh, yeah, what it are some? Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm from New York, and I live in Chicago now. And you know, people are like, "Well, how do you?" You know, people from New York are like, how do you handle not being in New York? And people in Chicago are like, oh, how did you handle living in New York? And, you know, it's so funny. I feel like I have my roots planted in both places. And uh, both are such huge food towns. But the thing about uh, the food industry here in Chicago is that um, because you can still afford to live here as an artist uh, and get a job that is in the service industry, waiting tables or washing dishes, um, whereas people in New York have to like go to culinary school for 25 years before they can wash dishes in New York these days. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many, so many creative people here in Chicago, you know, cooking and, and bringing this cool creative energy to the food industry here. And I think that that, that's what the New York food industry is built on. And because they don't have that anymore, I feel like New York is, has lost something. Uh, and Chicago really has that still in spades, which is so wonderful to see that, you know, there's still this kind of you, like an actor waiting on you at the pizza place kind of thing. It's, it's just it's really nice to see. And it reminds me of New York when I was growing up there. Yeah, well, New York definitely is an interesting place right now. <laughs> yeah. But it's a lot less interesting than it used to be. But, you know, that's another that's another uh, old timer complaint there. Um, yeah. Any any other uh, new foods that uh, you know food trends that you think we should uh, keep our eyes on? Or um, well, let's see. Here in Chicago, uh, the house that we just bought is right by this pizza place, and I say this with hesitation because I'm from New York, and one of the main contentions in my marriage is the pizza here because it's not pizza. I'm sorry. Like, I love you, Chicago. You're a wonderful <laughs> place, but the pizza is. A casserole. It's a casserole. Right. Like, right. Yes. <laughs> I can't handle it. And um, you know, we like my husband and I cannot agree on this ever. Um, so I am very picky about pizza here. But we moved into this house that's just down the street from this place called Roots, and they do a taco pizza. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's like completely Midwestern, hilarious, but it's so good. It's amazing because mm. um, the like oh, it's so good, and it has chorizo and like um, pickled onions on it and um, jalapeno and it's just amazing. It's a really incredible pizza. So mm. I like I'm resigned to living in Chicago <laughs> and eating their pizza, but uh, it's going to have to be taco pizza. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I expect that this will sweep across the land like poutine has recently. Right. Like what has? Oh, poutine. poutine. Oh, right. Yes, the the cheese gravy, French fries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I like I have personal stake about poutine because I, um, my family is all from upstate New York, basically, and uh, so my family has a small cabin up in uh, north of Ottawa in Canada, and we would drive up there every year, and we would stop at these little cascoots, which are little French Canadian snack shops, and um, you get poutine. That's what you know. Right. You get a thing That's- of poutine. And uh, it was always, like, the most amazing. I had it once a year. It was amazing. They never heard of it in New York or, or anywhere in America. Everyone was kind of like, poutine? Ew, <laughs> gross. Um, but it was incredible, and I loved it. And then I started seeing it on menus a couple of years ago, and now it's everywhere. It's every bar in Chicago has their own take on poutine. <laughs> but it's not poutine. Right. It's not, like, it's, 
the necessary ingredients for poutine are french fries, cheese, curd, right. and gravy. And people are like, well, we'll do our own little take on it by adding, you know, roast beef to the top of it or, like, shrimp. <laughs> and it's just, like, that's not, that's fine, but it's right, not poutine. Right. It's like disco fries. Right. And, People think that you don't need to use cheese curds. You can just use regular cheese. And I'm like, no, that's just cheese fries. That's also not poutine. So um, this is my own little beef about the widespread occupancy of poutine in America is that Americans just, they don't know how, what they're doing. Right. <laughs> they don't know what poutine is. Well, it's, it's it, 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 you know, since poutine is a Canadian invention and it is kind of the ultimate kind of like bad for you, but oh my God, it's so good food. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think there may be a little cultural uh, jealousy there in that the Canadians of perfected course. it. But, uh, yeah, you Americans, know, we own that. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, Chicago hot dogs are the finest, I have to say. Oh, my God, they're amazing. They are. And, you know, and this the, is from somebody who had a New York City streetcar hot dog probably every day for about five years of her life. <laughs> right. Growing up. Um, yeah, the, the hot dogs here are unbelievable. It's an entire crazy pile of nonsense on the top of the hot dog and they're they're to die for they're amazing we lived up by um uh hot dogs for a period of time we like you know see the line stretching around the block for a while um every day and we didn't go there that often because the crowd is ridiculous but um but those hot dogs are really good and now it's closed and so there's like this vacuum in chicago now for uh for like particular kinds of Fancy hot dogs. Right, I know because when you, I had a uh, used to go to Chicago for a convention every year, and I had a friend who with a car who would take me, and uh, you know we try different hot dogs when we got there, and uh, yeah, it's very packed. I quickly learned that the hot dogs are like the pizza here in New York. It's like you have very passionate adherence of one hot dog stand over another and you know it's it's hotly debated so right (laughs) and but but i the thing i've learned as a as an outsider though is the more of that neon green stuff that's on it the better it is Mm -hmm. oh yeah definitely (laughs) what i don't know green and the like neon yellow mustard right right i I don't know what the neon green stuff is actually but it's very tasty it's technically relish Ah. But it's, there's no resemblance to the relish of, you know, dark greenish brown consistency that we are familiar with in New York. <laughs> right, right. So, um, so yeah, uh, the wedding book. This is uh, due June, so it'll probably be out next year, obviously. Yep, uh, spring 2016. Right. Uh, are you uh, uh, learning? Are you do, Did you do a lot of research other than your own nuptials for it? or? I did. I mean, the, the process of being engaged and getting married was a whole learning experience in and of itself, of course. But, um, but yeah, I did a lot of research about, um, you know, what people pay for weddings and what they're buying and, um, you know, the various marketing schemes that are involved. And, uh, I, you know, I felt the whole time that I was making this book, I just felt more and more bewildered by this whole industry and, uh, and sort of what, what people think is necessary when it comes to getting married and uh, and so that became the kind of crux of this whole book is just me being continually bewildered by by every aspect of this. <laughs> well, it sounds delightful. So I'm sorry, what's the title of it? It's called Something New. Something New, Something New. So, all right, well, Something New coming from uh, Lucy Nicely in 2016 and Displacement is out now and her whole shelf full of books. 
Uh, well, Lucy, again, thank you for taking time out from your very busy schedule to talk to us. Yeah, and, thank you, Heidi. Uh, My pleasure. Yeah, we will see you uh, see you in the stacks. There's more to come. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. 